Hello, my name is Steve D'Agostino, and my co-host Anne Fernald and I welcome you to the Twice Over podcast, because to teach is to learn twice over. In this episode, The Physical Plant and the People Who Maintain It, Anne and I are joined by Marco Valera, Vice President of Administration at Fordham University, who shares his experiences about readying the campuses for fall 2020, the safety measures currently in place, and how to return to campus safely. Marco, thank you so much for being on the podcast with us. Um, We're really, really glad to have you as a guest. And as we get started with our conversation, I think you have one of the most interesting jobs at the university and one of the most invisible jobs at the university. So before we start talking about what you've been doing over the summer to get Fordham ready, can you just kind of describe to people like how long you've been at Fordham and what it is you do here? So I came to Fordham in 1995. Um, Prior to that, I had been working in the hotel business, and prior to that, I was in the Navy for about uh, nine years of active duty. Uh, I am a uh, an immigrant from Cuba, came to this beautiful land in 1966, and grew up in Inwood Heights, attended Bronx Science, and then joined the Navy, and so on and so on. So 95, I came to the university. I was really very interested in working in higher education in my specialization at the time, which was uh, facilities management. Over the years, I was able to, you know, get serious promotions. I, I did go to Columbia for about five years uh, in a similar role as an AVP. And then uh, Dr. Brian Byrne recruited me back. Uh, subsequently, you know, with some senior, senior positions t- turning over, I, uh, I finally uh, achieved what I think is a terrific job as vice president for administration. You're right, Ann. It, it's behind the scenes. I've, I've tried to be that. <laughs> as much as possible. Um, well, that's all over now, Mark. It's all it's all over now. I'm, I'm personally getting emails from the community, many faculty as well, because of course, there's a lot of questions. Your team has been emailing us almost daily about Fordham Forward, so I'm, I can't imagine how busy you've been this summer. The team is trying to email and keep communication going, uh, feeling that it's better to over-communicate at this point in time than not. You know, we were in a, a little bit of a holding pattern until the governor's guidance came out. It came out fairly late for us. I wish he, he had put it out much earlier, but there it is. And there were still some issues around athletics that are not 100% clear yet from the governor's office. So we're, we're right now preparing for whatever that could look like. Um, but yeah, my role, you know, it's, it's a very, I call it a portfolio of, of things, uh, including construction, campus development, um, the public safety role, which really, you know, John Carroll, we all know him, he's been running that, but it's still under my administrative unit. Uh, government affairs, we have good people there uh, who are professionals in what they do, so that's helped a lot. Uh, obviously, veteran services um, is something that I, I've enjoyed working with uh, the small staff we have. And, uh, you know, we have a fairly robust number of veterans on, on our campuses. I believe it's over 500 right now. One of our great conversations last spring was with Matt Butler. He's such a wonderful, caring person and such a great leader and mentor for the veterans on campus. So uh, that's great that you guys are working together. And I'm sure he appreciates working with someone who served too. At one point I realized I was in a meeting with a lot of his staff and they're all Marines. (laughs) And to a Navy guy, that's kind of a scary position to be in. Uh, but they're terrific, you know, serving their country and then coming back to Fordham. Um, so that's that's about my overall portfolio. The other one that I enjoy is sustainability. My part is obviously not the pedagogy, 
but to look at our building systems and advance our our uh, physical structure uh, in the, to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Just got the last report, and we, we've dropped greenhouse gas emissions by 23% since we started this uh, in 05, uh, which is terrific because, as you know, we've built a lot of buildings. That's amazing, considering yeah. how much expansion we've had. That's really impressive. And as we speak, we're going to open up another uh, solar array at Westchester, probably by the end of the year, of a megawatt. And it's going to be a parking lot uh, type uh, installation, which is basically like a canopy. Um, I can say that we, we're the lead in this area in New York City. No one else has solar arrays of the size and magnitude that we have. Are students aware of what we're doing as a campus? You know, before all this, I would go to um, a student government and do a, you know, do a little bit of a, a lecture for them. I'll be giving a, a brief overview of what we do as a university, what we have, what we are going to do. Yeah, as far as students, they do come. It's, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing. There's a few who are very, very committed and right. they get very involved, but the rest are just happy to recycle. And, and uh, it's just very interesting. You know, like I said, I, I'll get personal calls or requests for this and that, and, and I'll talk to students individually. But it, it always comes down to like a core that are really, really, really interested in sustainability. That, that rings true to me too. That sounds right. So Steve and I have been doing all this work over the summer and have been very aware of everything that faculty members have been learning about how to teach. But you have been learning a whole different set of things this summer. And I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about the work that you've been doing this summer to get campus ready, to make sure that we're safe, you know, all the measuring of classrooms and thinking about the HVAC systems. And can, I just think people would be really interested in a peek inside the work that you've done. So first I wanna thank uh, my team. Those really worked on it. We have some professionals who are terrific. John Puglisi, John Carroll, and his team. Uh, also, my other colleagues have been working in their, their area of specialization. You know, I can I can definitely point out uh, Maureen McKeonet. Well, she's the head of our health services and RN, and she, with her team, put together the, the on-site testing. I don't know if you've had a chance to use that. Um, I haven't I, used it yet. Yeah, I, I have. It is terrific. It is professional. It is. It feels very safe. Uh, I've been tested there now twice, and a lot of the faculty are and, – and employees are going back for their second round of tests uh, right now. So those are the groups that have been working, you know, HR, it's just so many people because the policies to be, it was a moving target throughout the whole summer. Um, first it was, oh, it's on contact. And they'll say, all right, we clean, 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 clean. Then no, it's not really contact. It's very unlikely you get through contact. It's more or less respiratory. So then we got ourselves into that modality to look at the airborne um, paths, if you will, and how to mitigate those. To talk about the facilities in, in specifically, you know, we looked at all our systems. We upgraded all our systems. One thing I'll tell you that's going to change for our profession is the buildings were designed not for environmental safety necessarily or personal safety. They were designed around the energy code. I mean, there is some part that is related to health. So they're still tight, right? There's not yeah, a lot of... That was, that was yeah. the idea was to make the building tight, clean and recirculate the air and only bring enough air in to make up for the, C the amount of CO2 that's produced by humans uh, in the building. So they, they would actually have CO2 monitors in the ductwork that would then bring in more outside air, probably more than academic needs to know. <laughs> but, no, fascinating. But it's, it's very interesting. So in some ways, actually, our older buildings were better 
because you could open up the windows. Right. It, I would say it's really better, but it had, it had access to outside air. So what we've done in, in our buildings with central air systems, for example, law school, uh, Lowenstein, uh, McGinley Center, to name a few, Dealey, we've not only increased the, the filtration to MERV-13, and MERV, you can look it up, it's, it's just a standard of the industry. In some cases, we went one higher, where mm -hmm. the building system allowed, and we've also instituted a 100% outside air where we can't. And how does that work? Well, it's basically really a duct that takes the air from outside and is usually, it's very simple, has louvers. And so what we've done is we've cranked that open and brought in 100% outside air. Uh, we're monitoring that because, uh, you know, environmental conditions actually, is, you know, change when it gets very cold and so on. So we've done that. We're keeping the buildings operating 24-7. Normally, we would shut down at night. The air in the buildings right now is so much more fresher than it's ever been. Um, so those are the measures that we, we took. And, of course, this means more, you know, more maintenance and more filter changes. So our staff is busy. In the buildings where the recirculated air, for example, taking the opportunity to sometimes open the windows. And also we have portable HEPA units. These are these high-efficiency nine. 99.5% you know, efficient in removing viruses. And these can turn the air around in the room very quickly, some, some within an hour or less, usually wow. 30 minutes. So, so Marco, one of the first things you started with was your pride justifiable in, in reducing the university's carbon footprint. So do these changes to make the air quality health, healthier during Corona, do they have some effect on the carbon footprint? Are we using more energy now? In, in terms of letting in outside air and filtration and so on? It's hard to say because we don't have the people load in the building. So, you know, human puts out so much heat uh, into the uh, the atmosphere, if you will. So we don't have that aspect, nor do we, we have the density of, of operations. So a lot of offices are shut down. Lights are hopefully are off. Uh, so we're watching that, whether it's a balance. But, it, but that longer term, if we continue to operate this and we come back, when we come back, Yes, it's going to be an issue. Um, we're going to be using, I think, more energy. It's interesting, isn't it? The, it's hard to balance these goods. You, you know, from where I sit, there's a lot of aspirational goals with sustainability. But as an engineer, you need, to build, you need a code. You need something you build to. Give us that, and we will build to that. And that's what, over time, that's what's happened. Is, you know, the building codes have become more uh, energy efficient. But then we're back to this conundrum of outside air, right? You think that, you know, post-corona, that you would stay with this outside air? I mean, would that help in other kinds of disease transmission and student and instructor health in that regard, do you think? Or there's no data to support that either way? Well, normally the um, buildings would take in 30% outside air. So there, there was always a component of outside air. And mm -hmm. again, most of it was around CO2, uh, limiting you know, the amount of buildup in the building. Um, I, I, we really have to follow the guidance from the professional societies and the health department and so on, who, who, you know, hopefully once we get past this, they will, um, they will weigh in and there might be a different building code. It's interesting to imagine a situation where you'd have an algorithm that would say it's flu season in your County change right. filtration to more outside air this week, you know, so, yeah. I mean, it seems like with computers, you could, you could do that. Right. You um, could do that. I think. I think from where I sit, where I've learned is the mask is is really the first line of defense. And if we mask up like other countries do uh, in the fall in the flu season, that's going to have a, a significant impact. Uh, and and you probably read about this. We're we're hopeful that you know the the uh, the virus continues to to drop in cases, 
and that people get the flu shot and the individuals and wear the mask. And we may have a better flu season than otherwise. We will keep a lot of these measures in place, like the higher filtration. Those will be in place, you know, down the road. And we'll also monitor the outside air. Uh, so we will learn some things from this and uh, hopefully be better for it at the end. What else have you learned this summer that surprised you? I think the level of stress. I, I got to tell you, I'm not sure if you are one of those folks. I have a Fitbit and I monitor my stress levels. If you were to see my stress levels around the time that I got promo promoted, quote unquote, to COVID coordinator, it went through the roof. That's on a personal level, but I think others have the same experience, right? We just, at some point you were given a guidance and then the guidance was changed and then there was this and there was that. And, you know, so I, I think it's a stress level that we, you know, and it, it manifests itself in many different ways. There are people who are angry, right? There are people who are sad. There are people who are so concerned about coming back and all the questions, rightfully so from the faculty and the employees, you know, about returning. Um, so that I think that was, to me, I shouldn't say a surprise, but it was, it was the most impactful thing uh, besides the actual virus over the past few months. So what would you say to a, you know, a student or a faculty member or instructor who's concerned about coming back in terms of, of the preparations you guys have made to the physical plant? I think we have mitigated the risk as much as we could. Um, and I think, and what I'm hearing is that the masking in classroom, although difficult for a faculty and a lecturer, of course, but that's really, again, the first line of defense. The testing with the students, the, the testing with the employees, uh, that will continue now. You know, we're doing the second round of the universal testing, and then we'll go into randomized testing. So I think by by de-densifying the classroom, I mean, I'm not sure if you're back, Ann or, or Stephen, you've been back, but the classrooms are empty. Right. I mean, a classroom of 30 is now at best 10. And with all the air moving, you know, almost, as I said, continuously, I think we really decrease the risk. The other one, too, is even though there's the concern about asymptomatic spread, just the self-monitoring, self-awareness. Um, and, you know, our, our students, the ones I've seen on campus are wearing their masks. There's always a little, you know, there's always be someone who will want to do a little differently, but for the most part, they're they're behaving. Uh, which you know, if I was an eighteen year old, <laughs> right? Um, and I think that's proven by the testing that we've done. That we've only, we've had it. It just came up the da uh, dashboard. I saw that. Yeah, we've had um, what it was that I can't call the number five out of whatever thousands we did. But yeah, the, I think that's a a, a real positive direction i hate to use the word positive but it clearly shows our students are taking this seriously yes Otherwise, certainly anecdotally i have 19 seniors mm -hmm. and i haven't gone in yet i i wanted to wait until i knew what the dashboard said and you know kind of get through the first two weeks of the semester in case we had a spike that we've the kind of spike we've seen at other schools um and I asked them if they would be, if they're available to come in and if they would like to come in. And several of my students said, although I'm in Queens or New Jersey, I live with my grandmother and I'm not coming in this semester. You know, and so they're really being very mindful of what we'd want them to be in terms of Fordham students, you know, caring for 
each themselves and each other in, you know, really mature ways. I mean, it's kind of makes me a little bit sad that they have to be so grown up, but it also makes me really proud. Yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying. And, you know, you're always going to have those who want to be together and so on. I don't think they're doing it out of any spite. It's just human nature. Yep. You know, adults aren't any better, you know, no. given the circumstances. Uh, but I think we, you know, I think our, our students are very unique and they're terrific. And, and let's, you know, we'll always have the small incidences where a few dozen of decide to gather in a backyard or something. And we'll deal, we'll deal with that as best we can. Um, I think, you know, going, this is my concern really is when we go inside uh, for the winter. Uh, but you know we're monitoring. We'll, we'll monitor and see see where the numbers lead us. Uh, the governor has has in, you know he's put in fairly tight restrictions as to number of uh, positive tests. So a uh, few faculty have reached out about the possibility of teaching outside for as long as possible. Have there been any sort of formal arrangements to do that, or can I just have my students meet me in one corner of Eddie's and we'll sit under a tree? Is there any kind of policy or guidance around doing this? I'm trying to recall one of the working groups um, actually may have said that's a, that's a, something that we support. Of, of course, you know, trying to keep keep apart, six feet apart, keep your mask on. Um, yeah. So it, I think the faculty, and of course, this is primarily at Rose Hill, uh, should take yeah. advantage of, of the weather. And, and, you know, in the past, I've seen several classes go outside, uh, very nice, nice weather. So it, Yes, we, I think that's something we, we would support. I was very interested and touched and heartened by a communication from your office about custodial staff and kind of door hangers like the like we have in a hotel that exactly. say, please clean my room. Because so many offices aren't being used this semester. It doesn't make sense for custodial staff to go in and clean an office that hasn't been used for a week or a month or since March. Can you tell me a little bit about your conversations with the custodians, how they feel about coming back and how you came to that decision? Sure. I have to tell you that, that um, and I think this even predates my time because historically the staff here has been very dedicated to the university and to the mission. I don't know whether it's the Catholic ethos or where that comes from, because of course, at one point we're primarily Catholic uh, or Christian, if you will, in time. Um, but they, you know, I've seen them over the years, just when hurricanes, they're here. You yeah. know, they, st they stay overnight. Uh, they'll come in and do their work with their supervisors. It it's terrific. I, I get, some of you may, be, may have worked at Columbia, and I don't want to disparage Columbia in any way, because I, I, I'm an alum. Got to fess up took advantage of my time there to get an MBA. Um, but at one point, it, when I first arrived, they had difficulty getting uh, staff in for snow removal, even with overtime. Oh, that yeah. changed, and, and uh, maybe I'll take some credit for that, but that changed uh, <laughs> during my tenure. Uh, but they were they were having, you know, a lot of their folks that just did not want to come in. Uh, Boy, that's something I've never witnessed at Fordham. I've, every time I've ever been on campus, there have been security, custodial, uh, you know, all the staff have been and yeah. friendly and wanting to get to know you and interested. Well, I think we're really a unique place uh, with the staff and, and it comes from the top, it comes from the president. I gotta tell you, he walks around, he knows many of their names. 
um, and they know him. And he's 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 been terrific in that way. And as you know, he puts a little a lot of effort into recognizing them, yes, uh, for their service and so on. But it's a good team, and we have very good benefits. I think we treat them fairly. Um, you know, we have almost no turnover, almost no turnover. If if there is turnover, it's primarily because they retire. Um, again, during this pandemic, we were shut down for about a two week period, and then the governor allowed essential personnel to return, and and so my team returned on a reduced schedule. Many of them did not have to come back. They were over 65, I think it was, but they still wanted to come back. Um, and that's just an example of, of their effort. The door tag came from one of our, our directors, uh, Garrett Barker, who's a terrific, terrific person. Um, and he he had this idea and we looked at him and said, just as you said, Ann, wow, there's so many offices not being utilized fully that we can really, not save labor, but reallocate our staff because we're cleaning public areas and other areas twice a day, which is not just cleaning, disinfecting, a two-step process. So as you can imagine, that takes a lot more labor hours. So someone texted me the other day, uh, they'd been on campus in Dealey or Collins, mm -hmm. and there was a sticker on the elevators that said the elevator buttons were self-cleaning. Yes. Can you explain that to me? Is that just a sticker or is that really a thing? So what it is, it's, uh, well, as you, as you can imagine, in any uh, crisis, there's always someone who will take advantage and create new ideas and new products. So this is a new uh, product that is applied over the buttons. And apparently, it does not allow... Uh, viruses to to uh, be active on its surface. So I've gotten to know many of the staff over time from as students, which has been really interesting because, um, you know, PCS especially has adult non-traditional learners. And um, it's given me real insight into kind of the work that they do and and how they see themselves as part of the university. And in one of my courses, I assign them um, an interview. They have to interview someone in their workplace about, you know, and one of my students interviewed the woman who does all the planting of the flowers. Oh, Helen, yeah. Helen, she, and this, I tell you, has to be about 15 years ago. And I still remember this paper. This is wonderful interview. And the student followed her around like for a day, just talking to her, watching what she does and the, the physical plant, the context in which learning takes place not just in the classroom, but the whole environment, right? And one of the things I miss the most, and Anna and I have talked about this, the walk from the train station to my office and back in the afternoon is just this sort of contemplative, wonderful experience I got to have every day. And just being on the campus is just, is really something special. And I think that's part of the losses that we're you know, all of us are experiencing now, just that being in that place and how special it is. Yeah, I, I get to, it's one of the areas that I'm very proud of. Um, I don't know if you were here in uh, around 1995 or so, but the campus was a great campus, but over the years, I really dedicated myself to, to improving the overall, you know, environment for all of us. Um, and, you know, we do a lot of things to preserve our trees, for example. Uh, we are a, and what do they call it now? Uh, we're a tree campus USA. 
uh, yes. certified, which means we have to do certain things to the environment and to our, our landscape and our trees. Um, we're in Arboretum Level 1, which requires certain things to be done as well and maintain our, our trees. I mean, we have hundreds of trees. I, there's an inventory somewhere. I can't remember who has it, but um, it's just a terrific thing. You can actually t see our, our mature trees from from Google Earth. And to yeah, see... I, I, I think we have the, the oldest elm that I know of in New York State. It's the one, it's the big, big old tree next to the Dagger John statue. Yeah, that's, it's almost Americana, which is a, the, the endangered uh, American elm. And I believe it's getting close to 300 years old. Wow. Yeah, wow. if you go back in the old, old how many credits picture, does it need to graduate? Like, how many more credits? Is it close to graduation? <laughs> Boy, I don't know. <laughs> but you know, if you look at the old old pictures, it's always there. But it's always there. So that's an area that that we really are very prideful of, um, and it kind of dovetails with our sustainability. I think about the beautiful new line of trees that you've planted along the Metro North tracks. Oh, jeez, um, thank you. That was so, so, several hundred trees to hide all the garbage that Metro North doesn't pick up. But it really has made a big improvement on that part of the campus. Because when I come to Rose Hill, I come in by train and to come in and see the trees rather than coming in and seeing kind of garbage strewn train tracks is a big, big difference. It really yeah. matters. And you know what's interesting when you mentioned that? Another thing that I, I've noticed over the years is that our, our community takes care of the campus. It's really rare to see a piece of paper flying around. That's true. They they do it. I mean, you know, of course, we have a whole you know, analysis of where trash cans should be and this and that. But for the most part, you know, our kids are respectful of campus. Yeah, they really are. You know, it's funny. I'm like I'm like the anti Marco because you are the physical plant and I'm the online person. You know, <laughs> well, you've become you've become more important these days. You know, but I mean, it's really interesting to because one of the real challenges with 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 online you know moving and in, moving into this flexible hybrid model is really being confronted by the the significance of the physical learning space and how that is like so deeply connected to making an environment that's conducive you know to growth and development and collaboration and community and how can you sort of try to reproduce that virtually, how difficult that is. Like, how do you make a beautiful Zoom, right? What would that even be? And part of what makes the university special is, is it's, its geographic location in Manhattan, I would say, and the beauty of the physical space, you know, in, in um, at Rose Hill and then Calder and, and Westchester. And, and to think about how taking that away, right and still trying to reproduce the experience of being at fordham yeah um, i can see the challenge and and you know we were talking about rose hill but lincoln center of course has its own culture hmm. um interesting it's also culturally different in my area it, it's subtle but it, they they approach things differently how so um but you know it, it i think it's the same issue the same uh, can be just said about lincoln center which is there the city's the community and now the students that we have can't really access theater, can't really access plays, can't really access museums, barely. They're starting to get in there. I think they opened up a bit. But that's the whole immersive experience, you know, getting your Fordham education in the city of New York, right? It makes it, It's a good, it's not just a tagline. 
it, it's um it's good i listen we got to come back on ground we should at some point because as i said stress levels right we humans need to be together that's just the way we're built yes yeah that's absolutely true that's really true i want to ask you without getting too political but i'm interested in kind of because you're now in charge of government relations mm -hmm. um about kind of what what you've learned from our people who are in conversations with um city government and with albany about kind of advocacy for higher ed as new york state and new york city think about reopening so yes we've been advocating the, the one that we're really advocating right now is for the governor not to cut off some of the financial aid like HEOP and so on that are taking reductions that will impact our most needy students. Um, we've been successful on the veteran side to make sure that all their benefits are, are still full, fully available. Um, it's a small operation, Governor Affairs is three people really. Uh, and Matt is, is uh, also part of that because of course, veteran services, it's a government uh, program. Right, right. Uh, but we've been advocating on the federal level on the state level, with our AJCU counterparts, with our uh, CQ uh, colleagues in New York State. Uh, Can you tell people what CQ is? I don't think a lot of yes. people know CQ. It's a, I believe it's a consortium of independent colleges and universities. That's right. Father McShane was actually the president at one point of that group, and they're an advocacy group for, for private higher education. Is there anything else you want to make sure that we talk about before we wrap up this conversation? We're all looking to the future and just realize that we'll have to in many ways react we can't really predict what the future is going to look like but we are you know we're working as a team and we're hopeful that with a vaccine and other, all the other measures that we're taking that we continue to follow those measures and that we'll ultimately be in a better place with this uh, virus it will go away hey, marco it's always great to talk to you thanks so much for being here Twice Over Podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Spotify, with new episodes appearing twice each week. For host and guest bios and show notes, please visit our website, twiceoverpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twiceover1 or email us at twiceoverpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening.